uh, distributors don't really do marketing so much, uh, not directly to, to the consumers, not directly to the audience. So that's really on you as the filmmaker to figure out how you're going to connect with your audience and get them to get to the film. Hi, and I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film and learning the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. So today I'm super, super happy to have Kevin Barry on our program, Best in Fest, and he is a wonderful director. He has and um, graduated and attended an art school, so he has this wonderful uh, structured understanding of the artistic vision of film as well as art. His first uh, film, Serena and the Rats, um, was a huge success. He got distribution, segued that into Among Them, a second film, and then Gridlocked, which is this ode to punk rock, but specifically regarding a particular band. Welcome, Kevin, to Best and Fest. Hey, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. All right. So I, I want to start off with you were studying art at an art school. How did you get inspired to swing over to this entertainment, which, of course, is artistic as well, but, you know, a different vein? Where where did your inspiration come from? Um, I have to credit my friends for helping me along in that because, uh, yeah, I was studying painting. I wanted to be a painter doing uh, portraits and uh, kind of abstract stuff for a long time. Uh, and then when I was in college, there was um, a digital camera revolution going on where uh, video cameras were becoming much more cinematic and uh, cheaper and more accessible. So what you could do with a video camera at the time became... Um, really inspiring so I I had been shooting things with my friends just for fun like skate videos and that sort of thing so I was kind of used to video cameras but then I started thinking like oh I could shoot little short films and put them on YouTube um, so my friends helped me out with that a lot and uh, basically that just kind of kept evolving and I realized I was spending all my free time learning about how to make uh, movies look more like real movies not like videos uh, instead of studying painting. So I thought maybe I should switch my focus. <laughs> and you were bit by the entertainment uh, bug and started creating your first film. So uh, what, did you did you do this in, in college or did you do the first film right out of college? When did that um, happen for you? My, f my first feature was, uh, it started in my senior year of college. So it was supposed to be my senior thesis project. Uh, I didn't finish it in my in my senior year, but I did get it started. I, I did enough to show them that I was working on something. I got you. And then you ended up finishing it, which was um, your uh, Serena and the Rats. So let's talk. Yes, let's talk about how because it's a really interesting storyline. So talk a little bit about that that story plot and how you were inspired or what inspired you to come up with this. Did you always have this love of these psychological action thriller espionage things? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I went to um back when there were video stores everywhere. I was going to video stores on the weekends and uh just picking out you know, whatever movies looked interesting based on the cover art and, you know, what had like a femme fatale vibe to it. 
and then I started to gravitate gravitate over towards the foreign section and I, I started picking up like French crime films and that sort of thing and those really inspired me because they showed me not only um you know different story structures that weren't really common in American films but also like movies being done at really low budgets and when I saw that it it really inspired me um to think maybe I could pull something off like that. Maybe I can make a movie with a very low budget, uh, but a lot of intrigue to it at the same time. Well, that's interesting that you bring the, bring up the difference between Hollywood filmmaking story structure and let's say the French uh, crime thriller or that story structure. It's, it's completely different worlds. Uh, you know, the, the, the U S story structure has a distinct format to it, especially if you are looking at that crime thriller, thriller espionage type of film. So did you, did you feel that, gosh, you were, you were maybe taking a leap because you were here in Hollywood and you were doing something that was maybe a little different story structure than what people were used to? Yeah, for the first film, Serena, I knew that it was going to be kind of a stretch and I knew it was going to challenge people because it's very nonlinear in, in the structure. It's a little bit more inspired by the, the French style and the European films that I had seen. And it was um, more character uh, driven and based. And I sort of had the... Um, I could tell that people might be challenged by it, but I was like, well, you know, this is my first film, and if I keep making movies, they might get more and more expensive, and I might have more and more responsibilities to make money back for investors, and I may not get a chance, again, to make something that's just purely, like, whatever I want it to be, exactly. So I figured I might as well do this now and take these risks and see what happens, and uh, I'm glad I did. What inspired you to do the femme fatale as your lead? Because that, you know, again, when you made this, that really wasn't, you know, yeah, um, too popular. I think it was just, it's always been one of my favorite genres or subgenres of, of the uh, crime film, the thriller film. Um, I think it's, it adds a lot of interest without adding a lot of um, budget to it to have like a, an attractive woman, to have the violence, to have those things come together. Um, I felt like that would be a good way to add intrigue, basically, for uh, a low-budget film for one of my first films. Mm -hmm. Can you talk? And it was just one of my favorite genres, too. <laughs> well, femme fatale has always been one of my favorite genres. But, um, yeah. Um, so when you were constructing the character, what? how did you tackle uh, dealing with this because you're a man writing and, and dealing with directing um, that particular character. Di what was your form of attack to really get those layers? Because it's a, it's a layered, she, she does a very good performance, but it's a very layered character. Yeah, I think for my first script, I drew a lot from people that I knew. Um, I sort of uh, tried to embody uh speech patterns and characteristics and viewpoints of uh, people that I knew at the time. And basically just sort of taking what I felt like was interesting about people that I knew and kind of superimposing it over characters that um, 
I felt needed to be there for the story, for the structure. So that, that was a big influence for sure. Just the people that were around me and listening like a lot to listening and observing a lot to what was going on around me as much as I could. Do you have a, um, or let's, let's, I guess, uh, take it, take it back a second. So it's self-funded that first film. You started it in film school. You then finish it when you get out. And now you're looking at taking it in the festival circuit. So what was that like? Taking that feature, that baby that you just created and throwing it out to the festival circuit. And how did you segue that into distribution? Um, Yeah, that was, it was quite the process uh, because it was the first time we submitted the film to a festival or festivals uh we had one in mind one of the bigger ones in mind when we submitted so we spent a day staying up all night um just finishing the mix uh back in boston got no sleep put it onto a dvd and mailed it out like the next morning just totally like about to pass out (laughs) but we had to make we had to make the deadline so we just put ourselves through it um but yeah, we, we submitted to a lot, and we got into a couple uh, film festivals. We got into Bare Bones in uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma, which was really exciting. That was fun. So we got to travel a little bit, uh, got to see it with an audience, which was always great. We did a screening in Boston when I was still living there, which we had a pretty good um, audience. Uh, so segueing into um, distribution was another challenge. Um, we didn't get distribution on that until I moved to Los Angeles and I answered a classified ad for my sales agent. I think it was on Craigslist. Just, he was looking for more action movies to bring to the markets. And I sent him a trailer. (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I I wouldn't have expected that would have worked out so well, but yeah, Odyssey uh, motion pictures um, took it on and uh, they did a great job bringing it out to the markets and getting some sales in foreign territories um and then they also got us our um they hooked us up with our domestic distributor um which it it wound up being a like a long process because it was my first film and i made every qc error there was to make basically so i it was a lot of back and forth with the lab um fixing all the all the problems but i learned a lot and on my on my second film i didn't make any errors at all so i'm glad i made every error on the first <laughs> right so you went you, you bruised up your knees there and then you were able to to move forward um that is crazy that i was i was quite apprehensive too about the second film i was like i can't go through that again but uh luckily it it passed on the first try so it was really oh yeah it's super super painful it's super painful Uh, let's just just for a second just digress and and talk about those deliveries a lot of young filmmakers that are doing their first film they don't know that once you get distribution the second you sign that distribution company is is asking or sales agent is asking for all these qc items and you have to be ready to deliver that so where was, I, I know your train wreck was in the QC, but can you talk a little bit more in depth about that train wreck that you learned from? Yeah, I've, I've actually kind of toyed with the idea of writing like a little ebook, a PDF or something just to give out to people to help save filmmakers the, the, the nightmare of um, trying to deliver their first film without any experience uh, because right. it, it does take some knowledge of what needs to be done and how things need to be arranged just to kind of save yourself money and time. Um, 
a big thing is the sound. Um, you know, one of the things that surprised me was that literally everything that you see on screen needs to make a noise. Um, like every, you know, every footstep, every like pencil that's moving, every, you know, cigarette, every puff that somebody you know, takes a cigarette out of their mouth. You got to hear all that stuff or otherwise you get marked for it. So I had to go back into the film and add all this foley that I didn't really think was important at the time. But after seeing it when it was done, I was like, okay, that, that does help actually. That was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good idea. Maybe they know something uh, that I don't know. <laughs> now, um, I, I often talk to young filmmakers and say, hey, listen, when you get distribution, they're going to recut your trailer. They're going to redo your poster. They, you know, they're going to recut your film to sell it to different territories. What was that experience on this baby, this first baby you delivered uh, to the distribution company? Did you go into sticker shock going, oh my God, they're recutting all yeah, this? Yeah, that was kind of shocking um, because I think I had an idea of, you know, marketing and putting it out as the European-inspired femme fatale, low-budget film that it was kind of always meant to be. And they had an idea of marketing it more as, you know, the American um, action thriller. Uh, and the the way you put art together for those two different films is very different. Um, so when I saw what they how they wanted to present it, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. Some people might get the wrong impression of what this is. And then you're going to get the wrong audience. And then the wrong audience is going to be disappointed and leave bad feedback and that sort of thing. Instead of getting, you know, the proper audience for the film. Um but it, you know, worked out. They they made the sales and they uh, they got it out there. So I gotta, you know, pay respect for getting the film out there one way or another. So they were right. I don't know. Right. I it's hard to say because there's no alternate reality where we saw it marketed the way that I kind of envisioned it. Um, okay. So it's hard to say what would have happened if it would have came out differently or if it would have been more successful or less. You know. Right. Did they end up recutting your trailer to focus it more towards to match that artwork that they created? Yeah, they did. They recut the trailer too. Um, but I, I actually ended up doing a new trailer like sometime afterwards, and I'm not sure which one they wound up uh, using more often. But they definitely did do a recut of the trailer, and I, I was kind of shocked by that too. But um, being it was the first time you know, getting my film out there, I was kind of just relieved that they didn't want to change the film itself. So I was willing to compromise. Yeah, I was like, okay, if you guys need to change a trailer, that's all right. But um, I was just happy that they were going to leave the film alone and not try to tinker with it at all. Oh, that's that's great. So they ended up pretty much leaving it as is. They didn't recut it l largely. Yeah, no, the film itself, they didn't touch at all. Just that's, the trailer and the artwork. You are super lucky. Because usually they uh, will cut that up and and sometimes it's totally different than what you ended up, you know, shooting, right? Okay. So now yes. you've... Yeah, Ultimately, I did get to release it the way that I wanted to, so... Oh, so that's, that's brilliant. So you totally lucked out. But I'm telling you, this is the first time I've ever heard anyone find their sales agent off of a Craigslist ad. So that's, that's a first for me. Uh, yeah, right. And it didn't and it didn't train wreck. I mean, it was it worked out okay. Okay. No, it worked out great. Yeah, I still like working with uh, Odyssey. They they're a great company. 
Good to know. Um, okay, so now you are moving into your second film. From the point of you finishing your first one, licking some of your wounds and, and you know, catching your breath, when did you start developing and, and moving into that second film? And what was that process like? Um, so at the time, my producing partner and I, we thought right before moving to Los Angeles, we would just uh, try to create something to have, um, you know, a second film that we could do for cheap on the East Coast before moving to LA. I think we both knew that it would be more difficult to produce something once we got there. So we're kind of in a rush, like, let's go shoot something in like a week, you know, and, and make another feature for a couple thousand dollars with our friends. It was kind of a crazy idea. It wound up uh, taking only two weeks of shooting and a couple thousand dollars and um we got we got it all you know in the can so to speak and uh then moved out to LA and then started the post-production process on it uh which wound up taking a long time but it did eventually get finished um I think that the reason it took so long is we didn't have any money for post-production so I had to learn some new things some new skills uh to fix it up um, and we had to get the right music and that sort of thing. So it, it took a while to find the right people. Right. To finish it up, but that you shot it in the can in a week. And then it was the post-production that really kind of slowed down that process. Yeah, we got it all shot. And um, I think it was two full weeks and then a couple extra pickup days, maybe like 16 or 17 days total. It was a pretty short shoot compared to the first one, which I think took about 45 days total. So let's talk about that storyline on the second one, because it's it, it has a similar flavoring to the first one, but it's it's different, you know. So how did you come up with the uh, Among Them storyline, which was your second one out the gate? Uh, that was written by Evelina Marie. She was my producing partner at the time, and she actually wrote that in about a day, <laughs> a day and a half or something. She like just got the the inspiration to start writing she sat down started writing and i didn't see her until like the next day and then she's like i've got something um and then i read it and it was really good it was really fun and i i just added some things i kind of uh we we went back and forth i added um, a new character and uh we we adjusted some some parts of it that i probably can't remember at this point but um yeah it was a really fast write and basically we were just ready to go and then we started sending it out to our friends that we were um, our actor friends that we knew back in uh, Boston and we just had everybody up and said hey what are you guys doing you know right after Christmas right before New Year's uh, typically a time where people have work off just to see if they'd come out for a week and come film with us so when you finished it in LA and you finally you know put that post to bed did you go back to your same distribution partners? Did you uh, still solicit that around the festival circuit? Because this is your second film. You already have a relationship now working with a sales agent. Yeah, we sent it to Mark uh, Klebanoff over at Odyssey. And he got us our uh, domestic distribution uh, partner again for that, which is a different company this time around, uh, Cinema Epoch. And um, this time around, when it, we finished it, it was just about... It was 2019, and I was kind of just focused on 
getting started on something new. I think I'd been sitting on the film for like too long to really think about sitting on it for another year, um, trying to do the festival route and then getting distribution after that. So I was really eager to just get it out there. So we kind of skipped the whole festival route and then it turned out, you know, the pandemic hit shortly after and all the festivals were closed down for the year. So if I had to miss a year of festivals, that was probably a good year to miss. Right, right. And then you moved into segueing into your third film, which is completely different than your first two. Uh, that is called Gridlock, and it really focuses on that punk rock scene, the specifically a particular band. How did you decide that that is where you wanted to go into your third, moving away from you know your successes in one and two? It hadn't really been a conscious decision until almost the uh, like the end, in a way. Um, it was a film sort of opportunity because uh, the Briggs, uh, the subject of the film, was one of my favorite bands since I was like um, you know a teenager. I was big on the punk rock scene, and um, they were always in my playlist somewhere. So back in Boston, I had met um, Joey uh, LaRocca from the Briggs and asked him to donate some music for my first film Serena and the Rats and he agreed and we uh we kind of kept in touch after that and when I got to LA I gave him a copy of the film and he uh wound up asking me to come along and shoot some music videos for him so we started collaborating on music videos and I was shooting rehearsals and stuff and um after a couple years they were going to go on tour again in 2015 and they asked me to come along, do some photography, and uh, help out with the merch desk. And I said, sure, I'll bring my video camera, too, and I'll film some stuff. And I don't think they were really expecting me to film the whole tour, as, uh, documentary style, but they, I, I surprised them with that. <laughs> um, but I figured after I got the, after I got the, uh, the footage from the tour, like a 10-day tour, there would, there would be a ton of footage, and add that with all the other stuff that I shot over the years, that would be plenty for a documentary. So that was it. I was just like, I hadn't even realized I had been kind of building up to it uh, over the years. But then I thought, well, I'm definitely going to have enough footage for a new film. So might as well put my effort into that and make that happen. When you were editing the the doc on them, you know, what was your approach? What what did you really want to get out there about them that you had the ability because of this quantitative um, footage you had accumulated? I think the band is, is comprised of uh, very interesting characters. The guys are really funny. They're uh, also very professional. Um, they're not really what I think people would expect from a punk band, and that's kind of what I wanted to showcase, that they're all very like friendly, they're very silly, um, and they're cool guys but they don't really like do kind of self-destructive things like you might expect like a, a punk band on the road to be doing. Um, also the music is just something that I want to like bring to a more people. If I can, if I get the opportunity to do that, that's, that was definitely a goal. So I just wanted to show what it was like to be um, like a fly on the wall for an American punk band on tour for 10 days and just show people what that experience might be like. And, also give people a more in-depth view of uh, the Briggs as a band and the band members as people. 
Right. Well, years ago, I used to shoot music videos with punk punk bands, and I would go with my camera guy with a 35mm on his shoulder in mosh pits, you know, getting that feeling of those mosh pits that happened. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I, I totally understand, you know, that emerging scene back then and, and how it's it, it's it's almost become more established uh, as, you know, the years. It's not that, oh, my gosh, you're you're filming what <laughs> a punk band. Oh, no. Um, so you took this back to your same distributor or how did you, did you take this back to your established relationship with your sales agent? Did he help you get that? And, and where are you in the festival circuit for that? So the, uh, what I did with gridlocked was, um, I decided to do the festival route and I submitted to a lot of different festivals on, um, uh, what's it called? Film freeway. And, um, I, I got into a couple. I got into one that I was really excited about, uh, Dances with Films, here in L.A. It was a festival I'd heard a lot about uh, from uh, other filmmaker friends that I've, you know, known over the years. So I was really excited to get into that one. I got into Bare Bones as well, again, in Muskogee, uh, Oklahoma, which is exciting. Um, but the uh, Dances with Films sent me a list of uh, publicists, and I looked up uh, uh, Deborah, who is a... Uh, my publicist on this and she also does sort of like a sales rep uh, role so not only did she do publicity for the festival she did um you know she sent it out to her contacts and distributors that she knew and one of them was uh, gravitas so gravitas liked the film and they said let's do this let's uh, make a deal and get it out there and uh, gravitas is also a company i'd been uh, you know interested in working with so i, was, I said heck yeah let's do it yeah, just for those that are listening in, Gravitas is a huge distributor. They take on a lot of films on an annual basis, 500, I think, um, titles they'll consume on any given year. They are very, very big in the domestic market, um, as well as getting content out to the you know foreign markets as well. But their big hurrah is like the domestic market. And because this is a punk band, I, I, I'm sure that that, you know, also played a lot into your decision. How was it working with now it's your third film and your deliverables and, you know, you're becoming old hat on exactly what they need. How was it working with uh, Gravitas in getting the deliverables, but also marketing? How much did you play in being a leader in your own marketing for this band and this doc? Yeah. Um, so Gravitas is really great. They, they made the process pretty easy. I got through the QC again without any issue. Um, and then I hired a uh, October coast to do, uh, some PR and, uh, they did great. They got me a bunch of, um, interviews for podcasts and radio shows and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the, hopefully the, uh, the word gets out there and it starts to disseminate and people start to pick up on it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, is Gravitas, uh, where have they released this so far and where can people see this who are into that punk scene? Yeah. So they, they put it out on VOD. Let me see if I can remember all the places, Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, uh, Google play, Microsoft. And I think there's a sixth one, but basically if you Google, you know, 
where to watch Gridlocked on tour of the Briggs. The, the results will come up and you can pick your favorite VOD streaming service. So, uh, you know, a lot of filmmakers think that once a like a gravitas which is a huge distribution company comes on board and mantles your film right takes it out gets it these vod platforms gets licensing deals at television worldwide that their work is done you know that they kind of just go that's it i'm done so and and that's definitely a philosophy but a lot of the distribution companies uh, have now really expected the filmmakers to keep pushing this social media wise and, and, and being a key player in that, in that push during the, definitely the first few months of it launching, but then, you know, into that years afterwards, how do you, how do you play a part in your own distribution for this film now that this is your like new baby out there yeah uh as far as i can tell in my experience uh, distributors don't really do marketing so much uh not directly to to the consumers not directly to the audience so that's really on you as the filmmaker to figure out how you're going to connect with your audience and get them to get to the film uh social media is really helpful for that because obviously you can target uh, specific people with specific interests. You can run your own Instagram and Facebook ads. So I've done a little bit of that. Uh, and also kind of keep the people that are interested in a, on the page, you know, on, on your, uh, on your social. So you can just kind of reach them directly with new posts and new information, just keep, uh, hitting them with news and reviews and the interviews that are out there on it. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the, seems to be the thing just, uh, social media is kind of the primary pathway to getting your audience together. Right. To getting those ROIs, returning that in on your investment and flipping that into those rentals or purchases wherever they can get your content. Yeah. So where do you see yourself in the next five years? What do you, what do you have cooking right now and, and where do you want to go? Uh, what I've got cooking right now is another rock documentary about um, another Los Angeles band. Uh, this one's called Eagles of Death Metal. Um, this one is a little early to, to talk too much about it because it's not even really finished shooting yet. But I'm excited about this one. I think it's going to be really fascinating uh, look into a, another band's life and another interesting character, uh, Jesse Hughes. And um, in five years, I, I hope to be pretty much doing the same thing, making movies. Uh, I wouldn't mind making movies with like a little bit more money, but other than that, um, I, I feel like I'm on the right trajectory, on the right path so far. Well, you've done two and two, you know, two narratives, two docs on docs on music. Are you maybe feeling more love in that doc uh, musical world? Or, you know, are you planning on living more in that narrative? Um, I've got five scripts written that I've um, been sending out a little bit to film festivals to get feedback and kind of see where I'm at with them. Uh, you know, they're all narratives and I think that's kind of where my, my weight's going to be going back towards. I think I'm always going to be kind of focused on that. The rock docs have been fun. Um, I think really particularly because I love the bands and that's what draws me to them. Um, but I, th I 
think what I'm going to be doing is getting back into narratives after this. Do you have one that stands out that you can tell us a little bit about that storyline? Give us a little snippet. Um, I don't know. I've I, the the films that I've been writing lately have been like thriller and uh, detective and noir. Um, I would say if somebody wants to um, get a sneak peek of what I've got working on um, recently to add me on Instagram and I'll be posting um, updates there. Very, very nice. That's good. (laughs) So um, what is your advice for, let's say, a young filmmaker in college, coming out of college, maybe in the middle of doing their first film? What... What piece of advice can you give to those young filmmakers to help them out? Um, I would say never stop being um, a student in a way. You've got to keep educating yourself in any way you can. I'm always um, reading books about filmmaking still. I'm always reading uh, articles online. I'm always trying to learn from my friends. Um, any experience I have where I'm on set, I'm trying to pick up on uh, new ways to do things. So I would say just cause you're out of school doesn't mean that your education is finished. Mm-hmm. It's great. And what would be a dirty little secret that you wish somebody had told you that you have only learned through scraping your knees on the pavement? I, I would go back to the fact that getting the distribution deal does not mean that you're finished with the movie. <laughs> I I really I think that was kind of a dream of mine to just be able to get you know the deal done and sign off on the contract and deliver it and say okay I'm done um, it's it's your problem now you you guys deal with it um, but that's not really the case you have to follow through past uh, distribution you got to follow through the marketing and getting your audience together and making sure that it actually finds the the right people. Right, right. That's great advice. Yeah, and a lot of filmmakers, they do have that point of view. Hey, I've just got my first film done. I've gone through the festival circuit. I've picked up a distributor and my life is set. <laughs> I can now, you know, breathe easy and I, I'm golden. I'm go- I've got distribution. I'm golden. And they just don't know this is a child that is with you the rest of your life. <laughs> And it doesn't stop. Just because you get distribution, it doesn't stop. You have to put effort into helping that distribution secure those sales so you can get that monetary return. It's good. Do you want to shout out your socials for those that want to track where your films are, track you, keep up with what you're doing next, and hear all about that uh, doc, music doc, as you're going through that process sure um i'm most active on instagram my instagram is uh kevin dangerously and the uh the briggs doc is the handle for the briggs doc um so yeah just the briggs doc for instagram and backslash the briggs doc on facebook <laughs> i want to thank you so much for coming on best in fest and i want to say thank you for um 
being a filmmaker and and really giving us a little bit of insight into your filmmaking. For all those listening in, there's the video component to this on the LaFemme Film Festival YouTube channel, so you can tap on in and still see the video component to this. Don't forget to rate us on the um, podcast platforms you're listening to and shout out to us and dm us on social media you were listening to kevin barry an amazing filmmaker that is coming up the ranks in los angeles so thank you kevin best and best we're out mm-hmm.